my friends. Welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Rick Thomason. This is Life Over Coffee, episode 271. I need for you to put on your counseling hat. You got it. You got it adjusted. It's really snug. I got a question for you. I want you to answer this question. Someone comes to you and they say, I have an adult child and they want to leave home. What say you? How would you walk me through this common scenario? Well, I want to do that in this podcast, but as I get into it here, I want you to already start formulating your thoughts. What would you say? What are some of the things that come to mind? Questions that you may have. And the reason I'm asking you this is because you are a counselor. Everybody's a counselor. We all give advice, whether we're Christian or not. We are advice givers. Go on Twitter. Go on Facebook. Go to your local church meeting. Go to the production line at work. Everybody has advice. But the question is, is the advice good or not so good? And this is a common question. What would you say? Now, if you want to read the show notes to this podcast, I would love for you to do that. It is episode 271. The title of it is, Is It Okay for an Adult Child to Live on Their Own? Now, one of the cool things about this episode is that, well, we all make decisions every day of our lives. We probably make thousands of them from the point that the alarm clock goes off in the morning to the time we decide to go to bed at night. And so we are a decision-making culture. This podcast will be very helpful for many of you, even though this is not the specific question that you have. I am, in some ways, will be unpacking and addressing this idea of decision-making, even though I am speaking to a specific question. And so it will help you to walk through this idea of an adult child leaving home. It will help you in the area of decision-making. As always, if you have a question for me, well, we are a dialogue ministry. We have active forums. People have been on there today. We've had some new member subscriptions today as well. We have new member subscriptions virtually every day where people are signing up, getting their free membership. We give our resources away and that is a cool thing. And so you have access to a lot of material here, but you can also talk to us. And so if you have a question that you want to shoot by our team, maybe it's about this topic here, or perhaps it's something else, please let us serve you. If you're listening to this podcast, you have access to the internet. That means there is no excuse, and we would love to help you in whatever way that we can. So please do what hundreds of other people have done. Come and ask your question, and that is what we do. If you want to read these show notes, please go to episode 271. They are here. Inside them, I have a couple of dozen articles that you can read about parenting. I have this nifty infographic that you can look at, and I have also embedded two videos that you can watch, and they are short. One of them is about, I would say, 10 minutes, and the other one is probably about five minutes. So what you have here is a fantastic homework assignment on decision-making. You have a homework assignment on parenting, and you can use this over a period of a few weeks as you digest 
all of the resources that are inside this episode 271. All right, let me set it up for you, and then I want to roll through a few points. I trust it will benefit you. You have an adult child. Let's say the child is 25 years old. They want to leave their childhood home to live independently. Here's the question. Is it okay for them to do that? What are some of the dynamics that you would like to explore when working toward making this decision? Now, I I divided my show notes up into two parts. I've got some bulleted points that I call exploratory topics. I'm just going to roll right through those. And then I have a second category called other considerations, and I have 13 points there. So let me jump right into it. Here's the exploratory topics, just a few bulleted points. One of the things that I would want to know is that is it a male or female? Contrary to what we learn in our culture, here it is, newsflash, men and women are different. Every parent knows this. When that boy and girl are born, you have a boy and a girl, you know that they are very different. Not only that, but boys are different from boys and girls are different within the female gender. And so I'm not saying uh, the implication of asking this question, is it a male or a female? I'm not saying that one is superior to another. You could have a male, a boy who's 25 years old, who is highly competent, and can really live on his own. And you could have a female who needs a little more oversight, and it really wouldn't be a great idea for her to go out and live on her own. But then it could also be the reverse. You could have a highly competent female who can really just get her done, and she can take care of business, and she can live an independent life. And then you can have a male who just needs a little bit more care. You see this, for example, in kindergarten, first grade. You see it throughout school that boys and girls are different. And when it comes to school, generally speaking, girls are ahead of boys. They do better. They work better. They function independently better than boys. And boys need a little more oversight. And so I'm not making a commentary on male or female. I'm just asking a question. Now, You tell me it's a male, you tell me it's a female, good. I have more questions, too. The next one that I want to address is motive. I mean, this is like the biggest question of all. Why? When someone comes to you with a decision that they are thinking about making, hey, I want to move the Timbuktu, well, why? I want to move out of the house, why? I mean, that is an important question. We're talking about the motivation of the heart because you won't know this, and you won't know this without asking the question. And so here are a couple of possibilities. There could be more than this, but I just want to get you thinking about motivations of the heart because you do want to explore motives regardless of what the decision is. Now, suppose that the child is angry with their parents, and that is the reason that they want to move out of the house. Well, I moved out of my childhood home because I was angry with my parents. I was 15 years old. I'm not saying it's right. And by the way, don't follow me as I did not follow Christ as a 15-year-old kid. Being angry at your parents and moving out to set up your own domicile That could be a very poor reason. Here's something that I would want to explore under this category. 
if you're upset with somebody in your home, and I'm not talking about an episode of upsetness, I'm talking about a pattern, you can't get along. You don't get along with somebody in your home. And you could say, well, it's not my fault because that's the tact that I took. Well, I don't get along with my dad because he's a drunk, he's abusive, he's et cetera, and I could, I could roll with that. I mean, I can make that the the only thing that was going on, but the truth is I'm kind of difficult to live with myself. And so when you live with someone that's different from you, which is the only choice that you have, everybody's different from you, and you don't get along and you want to break up that relationship by moving out of the house, well, guess what's going to happen next? I mean, more than likely you're going to get married, and you're going to marry somebody that's different from you, and you're going to have moments where it is hard to get along with that person that you married. There are two long-term relational contexts in every person's life. The first long-term relational construct is their childhood home, their parents, siblings, etc. It is an unbreakable, unescapable construct until you get a certain age. And then, for most of us, we get married. Well, guess what? That's another long-term term, unchanging construct where you're living with people who are different. You really want to learn how to work out relational conflict in that first construct in your home. I know that many of you could write to me right now and say, Rick, you don't understand. I do understand. I really do. I know that it is complex, but please hear my point. I'm not trying to be an aggravationist. I'm not trying to be unreasonable. I understand the the diversity and the complexity in, in, in many of these relationships, and I do get that. But here's the point that I'm making. You want to learn how, and maybe I should just say it this way, the best that you can. Be honest with yourself. You want to learn how to get along with people because you're going to another place. Now, you may not. You say, well, I'm not getting married. I'm never getting married. You will be in long-term relationships. I mean, a work relationship. It's, it's very difficult to live in the world in an isolated way. And so you're going to long-term relationships eventually, some way, somehow. And so if you're angry at your parents, this is the motivation question that I'm asking here, and that is your reason for leaving. You really want to explore that because you want to make sure you address that in a plenary way because there may be some things that you need to do uh, rather than just escaping, escaping and a problem, that uh, a relationship or a family that you don't like. Another motivation is I have the blessing of my parents. Well, that could be a very good motive. My parents are okay with this. And so you can be angry at your parents. You can have the blessing at your, of your parents. Another motivation could be you're reacting to your peers. Let's say in this illustration you're 25 years old and you see all of your friends that you grew up with, they're getting married, getting jobs, going to the military, they're doing independent things, and you're stuck at home. You're just stuck at home. And so you're reacting to your peers. Well, that's not necessarily a good motivation for leaving. And so again, I'm just throwing these out. And here's the fourth one. You believe it's God's will. And so two of these are good motivations. You have the blessing of your parents, and you believe it's God's will. Two of these, there's some things you really want to address. You're angry with your parents or one of your parents, or you're reacting to something else, like in the illustration that I gave, uh, your peers. And those two things you want to address. The point is, why? What is the motive. Another exploratory bullet point here is the competency to live independently. I touched on this briefly earlier, male, female, maybe the girl can, male, the boy can't, or vice versa. 
But you do want to address the competency. Living on your own is different. You know, sometimes you can have a romanticized idea of what it's like to live independently because as a child, you really don't know the full story. You don't know the rest of the story. And to live independently mean meaning you're living independently. You're taking care of everything. There is no fallback plan. Things break. Stuff happens. There's responsibilities at a level that you have never experienced before. Now, some of that you want to lean into your parents, assuming that you can get along with your parents and you can have these charitable conversations with them where they can just walk you through some of the things that's necessary in order to live and to have a house or to pay rent or to take care of something and to pay bills and to live in different kinds of relationships. There is a competency factor to living independently. Some can do it easily. Other people can struggle with it. And if you can't talk to your parents about this, then find somebody that you trust who won't rubber stamp you, but will talk uh, in a way that will help you bring clarity to what it means to live independently. But one of the things that I would want to address is the competency of the individual to do it. And then another exploratory topic is biblical maturity. And this gets into all kinds of traits of the person, characteristics of the person. I, in fact, have an article here embedded under this point uh, that you can click on, and it's a mind map of Christian maturity. And I would appeal to you, if you want to get into biblical maturity at a granular level, I would encourage you to Look at this mind map and read that article on Christian maturity, and then you can, if you're the 25-year-old, you can apply it to yourself. If you're the parent that's walking the 25-year-old through that, through this, maybe you, you three can look at it together. But I would want to know the biblical maturity. Let me give you an illustration. Do you have a child that has a conscience that's wired in such a way that they would say no to sin? Well, that's a level of biblical maturity that you would want. If you have a child that has a a pattern of resisting sin, that's really a good sign that you're looking for with somebody that is going to live by themselves or live with roommates or live independently, however that plays out. But then you have another child that tends to explore too much, push the boundaries, cross the lines, color outside the lines. They tend to poke at things that they shouldn't. Well, then that would make me a little bit nervous that they wanted to live independently. And so that is just one area that you want to explore under this topic of biblical maturity. And then finally, under exploratory topics, uh, I want to touch on Ephesians 6, 4. You all are familiar with that text. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And where I want to go with this sentence is I want to look at the word children. What does it mean to be a child? Now, I'm going to share my opinion, my understanding of this verse, and if you know it to be different, then I would love for you to explain that to me. But I would see the word child in Ephesians 6, 4 to mean a, a child that's in their teenage years or younger. I'm talking about a parent's responsibility for parenting children. I know that's an arbitrary ar arbitrary number, but but when are they no longer a child? 
somewhere in the teen years, probably, and I'm sure it's dependent on other things as well, but a child becomes 18, they get married, they go to the military, are you still parenting them? No, you're not. They're living independently in another context, so you could make a case that 18 uh, could be an age where they are not children anymore, but they are adults. But again, it can be a different line for different uh, kids, uh, depending on the child. But I would say 25 years of age, you're really not talking about a child. You're talking about an adult. My point here is that Ephesians 6, 4 cannot stretch all the way up into the 20s and 30s just because the person is not married or they still are at the home. Uh, and, and so you, you parent children, and then when they become adults, whenever that arbitrary time is, things do change. In this case study, I, I would say that in most every situation that a person who is 25 is not a child anymore, but they are an adult. Now, again, you can speak uh, about Ephesians 6.4 and give me your perspective on that, and that would be great. All right, these bullet points that I've just shared with you are under the category, half of the podcast, exploratory topics. And now I want to give you 13 considerations. And again, they're all listed out here. And so you can read these at your leisure. I'll roll through them as I wrap up the podcast. The first one is, what does the Bible say? Well, there are no scriptures that pro prohibit an adult child from leaving the home, whether they are married or, or not. There just aren't any. I mean, there aren't any. And so there, there aren't any. And so a you can't say that the Bible says that you can't leave. And so what we're talking about is preferences. And by the way, there is very little that the Bible speaks to explicitly. There really is. Sometimes people will write in and they will say, well, do you have a verse for that? It's like, well, not, not really. I don't have a verse for most things. In fact, under this topic, there's an article that is linked here that says you don't have to have a verse for everything that you believe. That is silly. It's kind of foolish for people. Do you have do you have a verse for that? No, I don't, because most things in the Bible fall under wisdom issues. I don't have a verse for eating at McDonald's. I wish I had one, and then I would tell you to stop it. Just don't do that anymore. I don't eat at McDonald's. I don't care for those drive-through restaurants, and I think it's bad for your health. But I don't have a verse for that, and so I can't mandate that. Well, we don't have a verse for this either, and so what we're talking about are wisdom issues, and that's why I'm breaking it down the way that I am. I'm giving you, I gave you some exploratory topics, just things that you can explore with your child, things that you can explore with your wife. And then I'm giving you these other considerations as well. Number one, the Bible doesn't speak directly to it. Number two, honor the child. Now, Lucia and I come at this topic from the view of our child's desires primarily, not ours. Now, I am speaking of adult children here, not youngsters. When I say honor the child, I'm not saying the seven-year-old that wants to eat a gallon of ice cream for dinner. No, we don't honor the child's desires that way. But as our children grow older and mature, we want to honor their desires because they are not us. They aren't our clones. They aren't robots. They're independent creatures growing up into independence, and we want to honor their desires as much as appropriate. I realize there's some wiggle room here, and there should be because every child is different. But the big idea is that 
part of this discussion has to be honoring the wishes of the child. Now, we don't downplay our own desires as though they don't, dem- as though they don't matter. Of course our desires matter, but so do theirs, and so we want to honor them as much as we appropriately can. Number three, the parental role. What is the role of the parent? I talked about this under Ephesians 6, 4, but I want to come at it from another angle. As I said under point number two here, honoring the child, well, under point number three, a parental role, it's their life, not ours. We see our role, Rick and Lucia, we see our role as parents in three main parts. And you could just use three words to describe these parts. Train, guide, release in this order. Now, I want to give you some ages for train, guide, release. And these are arbitrary numbers, and it will be different according to each child, according to their personality, their character, their maturity, But it kind of breaks down like this. We train our children from 0 to 12. I call this until they become cemented. They become cement. You can shape and mold them from, I would say, 0 to 10, to be honest with you. But by the time they're 10, 11, 12 years old, they're pretty much, that's what you got. I mean, that's what you got. And, And so then, that's train, and then we want to guide. Now, what I mean by guide is you want to bring shape to the plant Now it is jutting through the sod. The plant is growing through the sod. So the first 10, 12 years is is growing up through the dirt, but it hasn't poked out yet. Then it pokes out. Then you see what you have. You get what you got. And so we train from 0 to 12, whatever, and then we want to bring shape. We want to guide. We want to bring shape to that plant. Maybe you want to build a trellis. Maybe you want to build a stick, (laughs) put a stick in the ground and strap that child to that stick. From 12 to 20, you want to bring shape to what you have trained from 0 to 12. And then number three, and I would say this goes from 12 to 20, again, arbitrary numbers. And then you want to release the child when appropriate, and that's the topic of this episode, a 25-year-old child that wants to leave home. And so we see our parenting role. It's the child's life, not ours. And our role as parents is to train, guide, and release in the way that I have just described to you. Then number four is anecdotal evidence. I will share what we did, one good, one bad. When I was 15 years old, I left home. I left home with an attitude, don't do as I did, as I have Discussed. And then Lucia, she lived with her parents until she was 28 years old. I met her when she was 25, actually 24. She was about to turn 25. We dated for three years at 28. And then she, we got married and started living together at that point. Well, she paid rent to her parents. Now, she was autonomous while living in her home, she, in her parents' home. She was independent. But she paid rent, and she pretty much took care of herself, except she lived in her parents' home. Now, why did she do this? Well, it was strictly pragmatic. And this is just the way my wife is. And again, this is a personal preference. This is not mandated. But the reason she did it was pragmatic. She was able to bring $40,000 into our marriage. And you can imagine what a big help that was if you started your marriage, not only debt-free, but started your marriage with with that kind of base. And that was why she did it. Now, again, I'm not mandating that and saying that you should do this, but I'll, let me say it another way. I thank God that she did it her way and not my way. 
And so she saw the wisdom in living with her parents and saving money because she was planning for that future day, and it was great for us. That's anecdotal evidence, our story, not yours. Number five, each child is different. Each child is different, and they're not necessarily like us. Though we have preferences, we want to parent the child in the way that they should go. We want to cooperate with the child in the way that the child should go and not mandate how we think they should go. By the way, our mastermind program is like this, and this is pretty much how we relate to everybody else as, uh, as well. We don't mandate how people should go. Uh, we don't we don't try to engineer mastermind students to a particular outcome. We try to cooperate with the Lord, understanding the capacity of the student and trying to guide them in the direction that they should go. Well, that's also how we we parent. Uh, sometimes we wish we could turn a student this way or that way, but that's no. We are to water and plant, and God gives the growth. And so number five, understanding that each child is different, and you want to parent them according to their uniqueness. Number six, recognizing the itch. Every child has an itch. You had one. I had one. We want to explore independence. Some people can modulate it, as Lucia did, and then others have to explore. Personally, I applaud both mentalities when all other things are uh, appropriate. Biblical maturity, doing it for the right reasons, etc. Some people can modulate. Some people have to explore. But there's an itch in all of us. For those of you who have children, you've seen it right from the get-go. When those kids are zero to one to two, they, they roll over. They learn to crawl. They learn to walk, learn to run, learn to cry, climb. They become omnipotent by the time they're two years old. That's the itch. And when they turn 15, 16, 17, 18, 20, 25, you want to honor the itch. You want to recognize that it's there, and you want to help them and try to guide them as much as you can. Number seven, you want to teach autonomy. We have trained our children to grow into autonomy. We want them to experience many tries and many failures while they're in our home. Our home is a laboratory where they can try and where they can fail. And, but we want to teach them how to live independently. We try that. We have tried that. We have tried that in our laboratory so that when life comes knocking, we know that life will knock really hard. And so you do want to teach autonomy in your children. Number eight, you have the regretful parents. Some parents live in regret, and when they see their adverse effect on the child, when the child is older, they can be hesitant about them leaving. And so regret, now we're talking about the motive of the, ch of the parent. And if you are a regretful parent, you really need to deal with that because it's hard to make proper decisions when you're living in some kind of regret for the parenting that you have done. And then number seven, uh, number nine, rather, is controlling parents. Some parents are controllers. They want to micromanage a child's life. Now, some children do need more oversight. I talked about that earlier with the male and female and the competency level. Some kids need oversight, but not all kids. And so if you happen to be a controlling parent, then, well, you need to address that just like you need to address regret. And then you can have the fearful parent, the parent the parents by uh, doesn't parent by faith, but the parent by fear. These are realities for all of us. Every parent understands fear, and some of us parent by fear more so than we parent by faith. And if you are struggling with fear about a child leaving the home, like regret and control, you want to deal with that because that will impact your decision making. Number 11 is the one flesh marriage. 
Well, this decision that can happen in well, these significant decisions that happen in our marriages are like heat, the heat of the sun, and it really draws out any of the purities or impurities that are in our marriage. Couples may not align perfectly on this matter of a child leave, leaving, but they must be together. They must be one flesh on this. They, they might not be lockstepping with each other, but they must be together. And there can be a difference there where they don't necessarily agree, that's fine, but they are together. And then you have parents that don't agree, and it's quite obvious they're not together. And so this decision that the child is wanting to make could be drawing out impurities in the marriage, similar to the fearful parents, controlling parents, the regretful parent. Well, if there's something wrong with your one flesh, you want to address that. Number 12, what is the plan? How would this decision moving out enhance or deter the life of the child as an adult? How does moving out set them up for the rest of their lives? What's the plan? This is a sit down and count the cost thing before you build a tower. I mean, just say I want to move out. Okay, well, I've already addressed motives. What are some of the motives for it? But what is the plan? How is this working in the sequence of your life events to set you up for the rest of your life? And then finally, number 13, outside help. Sometimes it's just wise to talk to people who do have an emotional investment in a family decision. And if the parents can't agree, well, most definitely it would be helpful to find outside assistance. This is episode 271. Is it okay for an adult child to live on their own? Well, I don't know. I've given you a lot of things to talk about, think about. And if you want to talk to us, well, come, let's talk. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.